It's podcasting time! This is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan. I am Jonathan Isaacson. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Probably on Apple or maybe Spotify, but you can find the podcast in a lot of other places too. So subscribe! And while you're there, give it a rating, maybe even a review, and definitely share the podcast. So today's episode is another hashtag content video, video, episode. It's podcasting time. This is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan. I am Jonathan Isaacson. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts, probably on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, You can find the podcast lots of other places too, though, so subscribe. While you're there, make sure you give it a rating, maybe even a review. Definitely share the podcast. Sharing is great. Let's do that. So today's episode is another hashtag content episode. Um, You know, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, but... I was working on an episode of my other podcast, so it's one I do for my students, and it's it's called uh, Listen Up with Mr. I, in in case, you know, you're interested in that. Even if you're not a student, you can still learn a lot about Japan and things I do. Um, But yeah, I I was working on um, episodes, uh, student requests, and one of the requests was that I talk about my experience with culture shock here in Japan. And I didn't actually have a lot to talk about for that one. And that's because I have never really experienced anything that I personally would consider culture shock. Um, I mean, sure, there were some things that that have surprised me here in Japan, but nothing that I would would consider culture shock. I mean, culture is surprise. Does that count as culture shock? I don't know. To me, nothing nothing to me has risen to the level of culture shock. Um, So a couple of things that I thought of to talk about for my, my, my student podcast. So, for example, trains. So... I spent a lot of my youth in the Chicago area, and in the Chicago area, the trains don't stop, right? You want to catch a metro, which is the the commuter trains from the suburbs into downtown. You want to catch an L, which is, you know, the the, Chicago doesn't do subways. I mean, there are subways, but it's mostly elevated tracks. You know, you want to catch one of those. Those trains don't really ever stop. I mean, if you want to catch a train in the middle of the night, you can do that. You know, four in the morning, yeah, there's probably a train. Just wait a little bit. But whatever, you know. Yeah, so trains don't stop in Chicago. I get to Japan. You know, the first place I visit is Tokyo. And the trains stop around midnight. You know, relatively early, On, if we're being honest, right? If you're going to go out drinking or whatever, 12 o'clock is still pretty early uh, for the last train. And so that kind of surprised me. Um, And then I moved very quickly, you know, once I moved to Japan, you know, I had my orientation in Tokyo and then I moved off to middle of nowhere, Akita, where my last train uh, was like eight, nine o'clock at night. So, you know, you're not going out if you're staying home. 
Uh, if, if you want to sleep at home, you, you're going to, you're not going out of Kisakata. So that was something that kind of surprised me. Like I say, not, not shocked me. Wasn't like, I wouldn't call it culture shock, um, but it was, it was different. And the other thing I, you know, I talked about for my students was um, sunrise because Japan doesn't do daylight savings time, right? Japan in the middle of summer, the sun comes up at 4.30 in the morning. And when I first, the first place I lived in Japan, I didn't have very thick curtains over my windows. Um, so yeah, I mean, the sun was, the, the sun was coming up at, you know, 4.30, 5 in the morning, which means it's getting light half an hour, 45 minutes before that. That surprised me, right? Because, you know, also again, Chicago, pretty far in the eastern uh, part of its time zone. So it's the, er- your summertime, you know, it's not that, it's not that, you don't have the 4 a.m. sunlight. Um, and if you're going out places like Kansas or whatever, where, where my father lived, you know, you go out there in the middle of summer and nine o'clock at night, it's still light in the middle of summer. So, so yeah, the, the, the sunrise sunset times kind of surprised me again, not to the level of culture shock, but you know, oh, okay, that's different kind of things. And so because I was making this podcast for my students, I, I took a look at, took a look at the interwebs, see what uh, other people have had to say about culture shock in Japan. And, you know, looking at it, I thought it might be interesting to talk about how I reacted to other people's reactions to Japan. Um, like I say, this is, this is a low-hanging fruit, uh, easy, easy topic, very much hashtag content kind of thing. But I thought it might be interesting to talk about how I react to other people's reactions to Japan. The things that they say are culture shock, you know, and I'm doing the air, the scare quotes with my fingers, um, you know, which works so well on a podcast, on, an, on a complete audio medium. But whatever. So let's talk about some of the things that, um, like I said, I, I took a look, found some listicles on some travel blogs and things, you know, vaguely, you know, Japan culture sites and whatever. So let's talk about some of the things that they say were culture shock. Um, so yeah, here we go. So one of the ones they talked about was weird names and tastes of Japanese foods. And one of the ones that that really comes up a lot is is a sports drink in Japan called Pokari Sweat. And yeah, I mean, I, I get why people think that's funny. You know, who wants to drink sweat? So yeah, there are lots of those kind of things that... Some of the names are a little weird, but again, not shocking. I don't think those are just kind of curiosities about Japan. Um, it, it does get into a little bit into Edward Said's Orientalism, but you know that's a way bigger topic than what I feel like talking about on my hashtag content uh, episode. We can talk about Edward Said and Orientalism someday, but we're, we're gonna not not today. That's just a little too heavy for right now. But yeah, there there are a lot of funny names in Japan of, of foods and other things. And, and then you have all the various flavors of things, right? Um, 
the famous ones, of course, being Kit Kats. There's a Kit Kat flavor for everything. And so, again, is it culture shock? I don't think that's really culture shock. I think that's just kind of a ha-ha, that's kind of funny sort of thing. Um, but be sure. Uh, another one they talked about, and this is one that I, again, not shocked, but was like, oh, okay, that's different. What, have, I do have a personal experience with this, is Japanese peanut butter. Now, Japan has two kinds of peanut butter. There is the, they, they do sell peanut butter that is similar to American, to peanut butter you can buy in the U.S. Right, you know, the saltier flavored peanut butter. But there's also a peanut butter that's more a peanut it's a saw. It's it's sweet. It's a peanut paste. It's a sweet. It's it's a topping for a desserts kind of thing. Uh, I mean, so we can talk. Yes, American, you know, U.S. peanut butter, salty peanut butter. Put it on desserts. It's fine. But no, Japanese. The, this the other Japanese peanut butter is sweet. So yes, it is. It's a little confusing the first time you experience. But then you're like, okay, this is just Japanese peanut butter fine um again not culture shock but something just to be like oh okay that's different one that i think the next one on the list is one that i think that is could be a little bit of culture shock to especially to people from the u.s is tipping um now at a restaurant or whatever anywhere that you know japan doesn't do tips right you just don't do that in japan and so that but again this is one of those things that I think most travel books, most travel guides do a good job in covering, right? Japan doesn't do tips. They just don't. If you try to tip someone, they'll say, no, here, here's your change. Why are you giving me extra money? That That's not what you need to do. So, uh, I mean, I suppose the one exception might be some of the, like the, the drinking establishments where you pay for a hostess, I think you can probably those kind of places you can you probably tip and it'll be accepted. But that's most people aren't going to experience that, especially as travelers. Uh, you're not going to experience that most likely. But restaurants, you know, things like that, cabs, taxis, you don't tip. You pay what they tell you the cost is, and then that they give you the change, and then that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, again, though Japan also doesn't have. Like the U.S., because I know if you're a wait staff, your minimum wage is actually lower than the rest of the minimum wage because of tips, which is screwed up. But again, that's just another issue. That's not what we're talking about today. Japan, tips. Yeah, you don't do it in Japan. Um, and so, yeah, that's one that certainly that's one I think that could be certainly could rise to the level of culture shock um, for if you're from the U.S., especially where tipping is just part of the culture. Um Another one that I think certainly is it could level, rise to the level of culture shock is Japan is has this reputation for being a very safe place, um, and one of the, the one of the listicles I looked at said Japan is you know has a reputation for being safe, but does that make the people do the people I I think the people are being careless, but. If everything's safe, no, they're not being careless. They're being their their level of care is appropriate for their environment. But anyway, I mean, Japan is as far as things like petty crime and things like that. Yeah, like theft, 
petty theft, it is a safe place. People aren't going to steal your computer, things like that. I mean, they might. There is a slim possibility, but it's not likely. I mean, for example, I, 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 so I was cycling one time and I had my, so I have like a little small cycle, not my regular wallet, but just a little kind of tiny little wallet I can slip into my cycling bag, my, my saddlebag on my bike. And I, I had didn't zip my bag up all the way and my, I dropped it. And so I didn't know where it was, but you know, an hour later, I said, I went to the police station. I told the police, Hey, I dropped my, wa- I dropped my wallet. There was like 2000 yen, which was like 20 bucks, not a lot, but there was like 2000 yen in it. I had my ID in it. Um, you know, so I reported it. And like an hour later, hour and a half, like some later that day, I got a call from the police and they had someone had turned it in. So, you know, they didn't want a reward or anything because Japan, actually, you are legally um, entitled to a finder's fee if you find someone's money or their wallet or whatever. But the person who turned in the wallet didn't want the finder's fee, which I mean, it was what's like they would have gotten like a couple hundred yen because I think it's like 10 percent or something finders. It's there. I don't know. I have to look it up. I forgot to look it up. But Japan is safe. Right. If I go cycling and I stopping at a convenience store to get my lunch or whatever, I don't worry about my bike outside the convenience store for 10 minutes while I'm inside buying my lunch. I don't walk it. And I have a very expensive, not, I have an expensive bike, not a very expensive bike. Um, well, most people would think it's very expensive, but cyclists would not. But yeah, I don't worry about it. So yeah, Japan is safe on that level. Uh, obviously, if you are, uh, a woman, it's different. I'm a, I'm a white man. I have, I have the privilege to be able to walk down a street, even in Japan, without feeling any danger at all. Uh, if you're a woman, especially a foreign woman, obviously you need to take more care, but it's probably on, you know, on balance, it's safer than a lot of the places in the world. So yes, Japan is safe. I don't think people are being careless. I think people are just, their level of care is appropriate for their environment. So, so that's that one. Um, another one that I think is definitely culture shock for a lot of people, and it's the public bath, the onsen or the sento. Sentos are, so onsen are the one people know because onsens are natural hot springs and sentos are just public baths where the water is just actually tap water most in most cases. Uh, yeah. So you get naked in front of total strangers. Okay. Once you get used to it, it's fine. Um, I got used to it very quickly. It's like, okay, this is what we do here. This is, this is how they do in Japan. So I'm going to do as they do. And yeah, once you get used to it, it's great. Onsen are incredible. Uh, if you have tattoos, that's another issue. Uh, a lot of places will ask you to put a, a sort of a band-aid or a patch over your tattoo to keep it covered. Um, more and more places are becoming more accepting of it. Um, and oh, I can talk about this someday, but tattoos have a connection to organized crime in Japan. And so there's still an image for a lot of people. It's it dissipating because more young people in Japan have small tattoos. But it's still, compared to, say, Europe or the U.S., there's a lot fewer tattoos in Japan than in the U.S. in Europe. Uh, 
which was really emphasized watching the Olympics recently because so many of the foreign athletes, the non-Japanese athletes, have tattoos. And, like, none of the Japanese athletes have tattoos. Uh, even in sports, you know, that where you would expect, like, you know, BMX cycling or, or skateboarding or whatever, none of the Japanese athletes have tattoos. Of course not. Because it's not a thing in Japan as much. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Onsen, the first time you go, if you're not used to being naked in front of other people, yeah, it can be a little bit disconcerting. So, I can see that one definitely being something of a culture shock. Um, but... Once you get used to it, you realize at the Onsen, no one cares. Um, they don't care. They really just don't. They're just like, oh, hey, it's another naked person. Okay. There's like a hundred other naked people around here. Who cares? Some people are really fit and buff. Some are floppy and fat. Not super fat, but, you know, old man fat kind of things. And I'm sure the same goes in the women's, in the women's side. But yeah. They don't really care that much about you. It's like, oh, some of them might say, oh, look, there's a foreigner. And then it's done. So Japan, that, that that's certainly something that I think has changed since I've been here. The foreigner being the, like this kind of uh, novelty. It, it's certainly less now than it was 15 years ago, 17 years ago when I came. Um, so, yeah, that get over it and enjoy the onsen because it's worth it. Um, another one that I saw that, and this is one I disagree with, um, and it's talking about how Japanese people are so polite, you know, in the, in the most curious places, I think was how they put it. And they were talking especially about how, like, at, uh, sporting events, concerts, things like that. Cause it, there, there was a thing, was it the, the World Cup, I guess, where all the Japanese fans got the reputation of, oh, they clean up after themselves and, and everyone around them, that kind of stuff. And yeah, I suppose that does happen, but that is such, that's not real life in Japan. The real life is Japan, Japanese people are humans. There are polite people, there are rude people. And in everyday life, you're going to experience both. You're going to run into both. There are plenty of rude Japanese people. Trust me, I've been here long enough. I've been run over by Japanese, like rude Japanese people. I've been pushed out of the way at the airport by a rude Japanese man. It happens. Now, one thing that I think is different is the customer service. And people in public facing positions, they are polite. And this it's very, it's a very contrived politeness. It's not a necessarily a heartfelt politeness but is it it is politeness if they're in a public facing position at work they are trained to be very polite and that is different um like i remember when when i went to the u.s with my wife we were at the airport where it's o'hare airport in chicago and we stopped at a starbucks inside the airport and my wife was very taken aback by the attitudes and the demeanor of the staff at Starbucks, it was very much a what do you want kind of attitude, which is just antithetical to Japanese customer service. So that one is certainly, that one is, there is there is some truth to the politeness thing in public facing uh, areas. Like if you're working customer service, if you are out at a 
you know, if if you are in a place where you can be considered a representative of Japan, most people will be polite. Everyday life, it's like any other place. You got a lot of rude people. You got a lot of polite people. But that's true in most places. So, yeah. Um, let's see. We're already getting to 20 minutes, so we're, we're not going to go too long, I guess, with this. We'll, we'll, we'll pick some of the best ones here. Um, other ones that people talked about were things like advertising everywhere. And I guess that is true. Um, if you go to the big cities, in the downtown areas, if you're in you know, Shibuya, if you're in Harajuku, if you're in Akihabara in Tokyo, right, those are the places people know. If you're in those places, yes, there is advertising everywhere. But I guess if I guess if you're a tourist, you are going to spend more time in those places. If you live here, you don't go to those places all that much. Um, so I guess that's one that I can't really talk about much. There is a lot of advertising. That is true, right? If you if you do walk down the streets of the kind of the the shopping districts or whatever, there are signs. There are neon lights all over the place. And that, I guess, there is some amount of truth to that. Um, another one that people talked about kind of, and it just connects kind of to being the, like the downtown areas. And so their, their comment was, escaping the crowds isn't always possible. And yeah, that's true. But that's, isn't that true in like New York City and Chicago? If you know, Los Angeles, if, if you happen to be in like the, like the, or like the center of town and like there's an event or something. Yeah. You can't get away from the crowds. There's just a lot of people. It's a big city. Come to where I live, you know, first in Japan, come to Kisakata. There are no crowds ever. You can always be away from the crowds. So again, that's just, that is another one that's just specific to the shopping districts, to the, you know, the, the temples, the shrines, the, the big popular tourist sites in the big cities, right? Not even just the big, but just the popular tourist sites. You know, you go to even rural areas that are popular tourist sites. Yeah, there'll be a lot of people. That is true. Um, But there are a lot of places that aren't the popular tourist sites that are still really great. Get out of those tourist sites. Get out of the, the crowded places. Find somewhere that's not crowded because there are lots of places that are not crowded in Japan. Uh, a couple, let's just do two more. So, Another one that people, that this is one that actually is a, a positive one, uh, vending machines and convenience stores. You can survive off vending machines and convenience stores in Japan. Certainly, if you're going to be here just for a couple weeks on a, you know, a, a just traveling, you absolutely can survive off convenience stores and vending machines. They are nothing like what you experience in the U.S., uh, I guess if you've been places like Taiwan, South Korea, they're very similar. So cause I, I've, I haven't been to South Korea, but I have been to Taiwan. And Taiwanese convenience stores, Taiwanese um, convenience uh, machines, very similar to Japanese ones. So there are places in other places in the world. But the U.S. has U.S. vending machines, U.S. convenience stores have nothing on Japan. So, yeah, if you want, if you want to eat... And eat reasonably well and even reasonably healthy, you can do that at a convenience store in Japan. So that's something that's really great, actually, in Japan. So, yeah, and convenience stores, uh, sorry, vending machines, 
you can get a lot of snacks at vending machines. You can even get in some places you can get, you know, a lot of you can get small light meals at vending machines even. Right. There are soba vending machines. So if you want a bowl of new Japanese noodles, you can get it at a vending machine if you know where to go. So, again, vending machines, convenience stores here for a short time. You can survive using convenience stores and vending machines. Would I recommend it? No, not, no, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, maybe if you're going to be here for like three days, sure. But if you're going to be here for a week, two weeks, get out to real restaurants. Do it. It's worth it. So yeah, that one. Um, and let's just do, let's just do one more here. And this is one that I think does surprise a lot of people. And it's the English illiteracy. And this is one that I, I I have I have mixed feelings about this because I mean it's it is literally my job. I'm an English instructor at a university. It's my job to teach students English, to try to improve English literacy in Japan. But at the same time, if you live in Japan and if you don't plan to leave Japan, if you if you're a Japanese you're 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 a Japanese citizen, if you're a Japanese national. You've lived here your whole life. There's no need for English, right? Japan is a very insular country. That I mean, there's no getting around that. Japan is insular. It's not as insular as other places, as everywhere in the world. But it is. It's it's on that side of the spectrum. It's on the insular side of the of the world, right? It's it's not a cosmopolitan place, right? That's just not Japan. So. There's no need for the majority of Japanese people to actually speak or use or understand even the littlest English. So that does kind of speak to the problem of English being such a dominant language in the world is that there's this expectation of English speakers that everyone speaks English. And that's kind of a cultural imperialism thing that we can get into someday. But yeah, Japan doesn't do English very well. If you've been here, you know that. Um, there are people, there are plenty of people who do speak English and can use English just perfectly well. And plenty of fluent English speakers, plenty of people who can speak enough to help get you from point A to point B. They are out there. But don't expect it. Don't expect everyone to speak English. Because if you expect people to be English, you will be disappointed. You will be frustrated. If you come to Japan not knowing any Japanese, be ready to pantomime, to gesture, to use your Google Translate to get around. Because you're going to need it. Because that's just how Japan is. And I don't think it's incumbent on the visitors to understand that. It's not incumbent on the people of Japan living their everyday lives in their home country to speak a language that's not their first language, right? I mean, certainly in, certainly in some professions, it's important to speak other languages than your own, but even in your home country, but it's not required of anyone in most cases. It's certainly not in Japan. Right. It's not my job as a, if I, my, I'm, I'm pretending I'm Japanese. It's not my job as a Japanese citizen to speak English to you 
the foreign visitor. So don't expect a lot of English if you come to Japan. If you find English, great. Take advantage of it. Because, yeah, it's not as widespread as it is if you go to most of Europe. Remember, too, that Japanese is a language so far removed from English that there's almost nothing in common between the two languages. I mean, sure, there are loan words that you can get by with, but the, the grammar, most of the vocabulary, there's no connection at all. So it's not like someone who's a Dutch speaker learning English or a German speaker learning English where there's enough similarities that it's not a big leap to make it to English for the for people from the Netherlands, people from Germany, people from Scandinavia, right? It's not a it's not a big leap for them to get to English. It's a big leap to go from Japanese to English, right? You don't think so? Try to learn a little Japanese. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Not impossible, but it's a bigger challenge. So, yeah. So I guess all of these things, like I say, they were in the, you know, culture shock in Japan blogs and listicles that I found. And I don't think any of them really... Okay, there are a few of them that might rise to, level of cult, rise to the level of culture shock. But the majority of them are just things that were a little bit unexpected. Or a little bit, okay, that's different. And yeah, sure, they might be surprising if you don't Google Japan before you come here. I mean, I mean, I guess part of it, too, is that I've always lived by the philosophy, you know, when in Rome, right? The, the, the Jap, there is a Japanese expression that means exactly the same thing. Um, literally the exact same thing. Just take, It doesn't use Rome. It uses uh, just if you go to a place, you know, do as they do in that place. And yeah, I... Like I said, I, I know this is a very hashtag content kind of episode, but at the same time, I, I realize that sometimes things that are, for me, are old hat, things that are just like, yeah, this is, of course, this is the way things are. It's it, This is something that's new to someone else, right? There's always someone coming to Japan for the first time. And not everyone has the advantages that I did. Not everyone has a Yamagata sensei. So I, when I was in university, I studied Japanese language for two years. And in the pro, you know, in the course of that, that of course, I also got some Japanese culture. I got a lot to learn about Japanese pop culture as well. And, you know, Yamagata sensei taught us all this stuff about Japan. So even before I came, I knew a lot about Japan. I had Japanese friends who could teach me even more. And so I guess, I hope that, you know, maybe if you know someone who is planning to travel to Japan once the whole coronavirus is calmed down and travel, international travel is possible again, right, maybe share this episode with them, right? Help them get up to speed on at least some of the things that visitors to Japan find surprising or confusing. Yeah, so I hope I can do for someone even just a fraction of what Yamagata Sensei, my Japanese professor, did for me. And let's leave it there. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. 
The podcast is available on most major platforms, right? You can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, uh, I don't know, some other ones, maybe. Um, if it's not on your favorite platform, if, it's, if I'm missing something, let me know, and I will get it there. And you can find the Twitter for this podcast at just another cast. You can send an email to the show. Be the first to email just another jerk podcast at gmail.com. And you can find all of the information on the website tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. And that is all for me. I'm Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace. Hashtag content.